This is the Brewed Up Apologetics podcast where we aim to look at and think about the world biblically through the lens of craft brewing. So grab your favorite sipper, whether that be a beer, coffee, kombucha, or soda, with me, Tyler Henry, as we begin to allow Jesus to redeem our culture and the world around us through sound biblical thinking and apologetics. Hey everybody, thank you so much for sticking with me. I know it's been a while since I have put anything out, and I am super, super sorry about that. Um, The summer just got away from me, and I was spending so much time preparing for this upcoming semester that we just started on August 30th at Lake Cumming College, where I work um, in full-time ministry there, and it's just been, been a whirlwind in trying to figure out how to do this as well as as well as do the ministry that God has called me to within the college campus sector and doing apologetics there. Um, so if you guys could just bear with me on that one, and um, I'll get to a little bit more of a ministry update later. Um, so let's just hop right into it. I know that it's been a while that we've or since we've had a beer together, and I am very much looking forward to that. And it's one of my favorite things to do is to share a drink with you all because quite honestly, there's nothing better than having a drink, whether it is adult or not, and just talking theology or apologetics and just seeing where the conversation goes. There's just something about that. And I absolutely love it. So Today, I've been keeping it uh, cool in my brewmate, like I typically do while I'm getting prepared. Um, just makes less trips down the down the stairs. But what I have today, if you aren't aware, Oktoberfest is coming up next week. So in good fashion, I am having an Oktoberfest. Now, this isn't my favorite Oktoberfest. I will hopefully be reviewing that one or bring having that one with you next time. That will hopefully be in October, maybe even sooner than that. But this Oktoberfest that I'm having, it is from Neutrail. And again, it's been a while since I've had a Neutrail with you guys. And I had this one on Friday. It was super, super good. But I was so distracted and I had other things going on. And I, whenever... While, or while I'm recording this, my wife is not here right now. She is on her way back home from a Mary Kay retreat that she had with her sales director in Ocean City, New Jersey. So I figured, what better time to have a beer with you all and talk some talk some stuff that matters. So this one comes in at 6% alcohol and there's really there's no looking at the can here it has a very 
Oktoberfesty type of Lederhosen feel to it. Uh, not something that I would have expected from them in terms of can art, but I really, really like this one. It reminds me a little bit more of a... Uh, just uh, the the type of font and logo and or and and uh, can art definitely reminds me more of like a Lancaster Brewing Company type of artwork. Maybe they maybe they collaborated or something like that. Maybe they used their their artist for that. But this is one that I am looking forward to. So let me pop it real quick, and I will pour it out and go from there. So, good pop. Always love a good a good one. Now, just pouring it, it because it is an Oktoberfest, it is a lager. So I tried to get the proper glassware. Um, I don't actually have a lager glass at home, but I have some sort of shaped pint. So that's what we're going with. Now, I'm still working on my pour technique, and there's really not a whole lot of head here because of my pour technique could also just be the beer itself but there's not a whole lot of head retention on it maybe that's also the lager because it is a marzen that is a lagered beer now if you're not sure what a lager is the difference between a lager and an ale is that the lager is typically fermented at a colder temperature and it is a bottom fermenting yeast so instead of the yeast sitting at the top and fermenting it sits at the bottom and ferments but it has to be colder just because of the environment that that particular yeast likes now an ale on the other hand is top fermenting and you want to keep it at roughly 50 to 60 degrees and then the lager is a little bit colder than that but the ale also is just a little bit lighter and because of the type of yeast and everything like that. But this Marzen, this Oktoberfest from New Trail, has a very, almost, if you're familiar with Yingling, has a very Yinglingy type of look to it. And even on the, on the scent, has a very Yingling style scent. Um, very clear no no haze at all which is very unusual for any type of neutral usually they have some sort of haze but they do they're very clear beers amazing and in my opinion they should do they should do some more of them so let me take a sip real quick remember whenever you're sipping on something that's new or something that you're actually enjoying and you want to have an experience with then you take a sip you activate your taste buds, and then you take another sip right after that. All right. So there's the first one. Just getting my my palate there. Now, hmm. very very interesting. Um, to be quite honest, this tastes totally different than what I had on when I had it on Friday. So this I'm not getting a whole lot of hop characteristics, which I don't typically expect with a Marzen or just any Oktoberfest. But it this is like very like malt heavy. I get punched 
with the Munich Mall, and which I absolutely love. So, honestly, this, again, you know, this isn't my favorite. This isn't my favorite Oktoberfest. We'll get to that one, hopefully, next episode. But, definitely, 8 out of 10, if you're in Williamsport at this time, head to, head to Neutrail to get some of this beer, because it is very good. Now, they also just came out with one that was called Rocky Road. I haven't had that one yet. Waiting for my wife to get back from Ocean City to try that one. So that is where I'm at with this beer. Definitely 8 out of 10. So let's move on to my life update. Now, I this just life over, I mean, this past summer and past like year or so has been very... I wouldn't say up and down, uh, but it, it's been very new for for me, really. Uh, we had we're, my wife and I are coming up on two years being married, uh, a month from next Sunday, and it's been an amazing ride so far, and I I love her to death. Uh, so just kind of strange that as we as we got married, we only had like a few months before, like a few months together before we were locked down in the house basically all day together so it was great for our marriage in that aspect so we got to spend so much time together it was like an extended honeymoon but at the same time I was ready to get back to work and I was just so kind of distraught for the first couple days because I've never actually lost a job before um I've never not since eighth grade during the summer at least and even then afterwards in college and and after and post undergraduate school like i never have been fired or lost a job or anything like that unless it was my own doing like unless i quit a job or changed jobs or anything like that that's the only time that i've been jobless but this whole covid thing has given me a new perspective on working and a new love for being active and being productive in in a in a healthy in a healthy way. So honestly, if COVID never happened, I don't know if this podcast would have even gotten started. So, you know what? Thank you COVID for that. Um so something else that happened over the past couple months and oh just over the summer was that um I joined uh an Americana band where we do a little bit of everything, really. We do some stuff from like the Grateful Dead and Tom Waits and Michael Nesmith. And honestly, even though that's not my typical style of of music to listen to, it is a ton of fun to play. Uh, I'm playing with Taylor's uncle and one of his buddies, and they've been doing this together for the past couple of years, and it's been really, really fun. Wouldn't choose any other guys to play with at least at this style in this style wonderful guys years of experience and I'm learning so much so the other thing that just happened over the past month or so is that also my sister started college and for me that's that's kind of a big deal because she's my youngest sibling so technically my parents are empty nesters and it was kind of one of those days Whenever she left, I had to work that day, but whenever she left, it was it was kind of 
it was kind of surreal because I couldn't just go to my mom's house and see her. But I know she's she's doing amazing, and I've talked with her a couple times, and she absolutely loves college. She's in she's in the marching band and has is is making a ton ton of friends, which is something that I think she definitely needed just because the town that we're from is so small that everybody knows each other and just getting out of that for a little bit, even if it's for a week is just worth it. Um, started coaching again. This is my second season at Jersey Shore high school doing the cross country team. And even though I don't run, I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, it's not that I'm not sure what I'm doing. I like, I, I know what I'm doing with it, but it's very, it's just different from any other style of coaching or anything like that that I've done. If I was going to be coaching anything, I honestly thought it would have been baseball or anything like, or baseball and soccer. I'm, it's been a while since I've played soccer, but I know baseball like the back of my hand. And if anything, I thought it would have been that, not cross country but I absolutely love these students they are wonderful and they are like my own kids even though Taylor and I don't have any together yet we or I've kind of like adopted them as my own and they've kind of adopted me as their like kind of like uncle where we have fun together but at the same time like you gotta lay the law down and make them run so that and this past Thursday, I got a, uh, I got a new tattoo, on, as the, as the next installment of my family tree sleeve. Now I've already gotten the basis of the tree, uh, which is a, a hickory tree as well as a, um, the Deathly Hollows, for my sister and a microchip for my brother. Now, I, again, you know, I I love flaunting tattoos. Not because, not 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 because I, I like flaunting things, but just because tattoos are cool. You, there's so much artistry that goes into it, and time and thought that goes into many tattoos, and because of that, I wanted to be able to have something to flaunt a little bit more and tell a story with. So, I got my mom's installment on my forearm, and it reaches all the way down just just to my wrist with the hair and the the top of it is the it comes up almost to the bend of my elbow and what i got for her was eeyore's tail uh, eeyore is her favorite disney character and just her favorite character of all time just because from what she told me doesn't matter how depressed or how bad he is feeling he is always there for his friends and his family and that's a very, very good description of my mother. So that one was for her. Once we, once I keep going with it, I will keep you updated on the next pieces that I get done. Um, but ministry-wise, mini- I'm still raising support. There's a new semester that, that just started, and this is the first time for me, at least, that I have been on campus with the students. So the past year, I was doing it all virtually, and it was, I mean, it was a nice, easy way to to start, but I wasn't able to actually go on to campus and interact with students that I didn't already know. And 
it's been really cool to be able to do that and just get get to know the campus a little bit better. I was at the 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 involvement fair at two different schools through my church and loved it. So the other thing that we're that I'm doing is also continuing to draft curriculum not just for for Ratio Christi, the organization that I work with, but also for my church, we're launching some new things this this coming fall and in the spring. Hopefully, I will be teaching on the tactics book that Greg Kokel wrote. And if you haven't read that, please do. So, with that, some of that new curriculum that I have been working on is on the proper functioning of man. So, there's a really, really popular. Or I wouldn't say popular. Popular. That's a, kind of a bad word for it. But it's a very essential doctrine of the Christian faith, called the imago dei or the image of God. And I wanted to explore that, especially because our culture is seemingly losing what that looks like. There's so much that is going on within culture that is telling us to let go of the image of God and adopt something different so if we need what 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 we're trying to do is reclaim a little bit of that ground you know we instead of having a a a a, a skewed sense of what humanity really is why don't we look at what where we came from and does that make help us make more sense than what's going on right now so I kind of stole a little bit of this and and taking Alvin Plantinga's idea of proper functionality and taking it instead of it being an epistemological an epistemological concept and and theory from his reformed the, uh reformed epistemology I took that and apply, I want to apply it to the entire person instead of just the cognitive faculties so Proper functionalism, what is it? That's the ultimate question. And just so you know, if I kind of stop talking for a little bit, it's because I'm switching between my note apps on my iPad. I just got it for work, and it has increased productivity like crazy. So kudos to you, Apple. Love what you're doing there. Um, But proper functionality, um, it's just a, a way of describing something so if it's properly functioning so if it's proper properly or proper that means it's acting correctly the way that it's supposed to in the way that it was made now if it's functioning properly that means it is functioning in the way that it was created to function so according to alvin planninga and reformed epistemology proper functionality applies typically to the mind and the soul um, kind of, kind of bringing in some J.P. Moreland here as well. I just started his new book, and it's great. I'll talk talk to you about that in a second. But usually, it applies to the mind and the soul, where the mind and its faculties and capacities are not hindered by anything, um, such as like I'm thinking of something like paranoid schizophrenia, where you just can't focus on anything because there's something, and and be able to make rational decisions because your mind is so altered due to a mental illness 
And it doesn't really matter if it's paranoid schizophrenia. It could be other things like depression or anxiety where your rational capabilities are just kind of not able to function properly. So there's there's that where we get that proper functionality. Like if you have anxiety and depression, for instance, kind of pulling in some of J.P. Moreland's story, I've never suffered with it, but he's very open about how being, if you are suffering from depression or and or anxiety, then your rational capabilities are hindered because you're not able to rationalize certain things. Even though you know what to do, you can't rationalize doing the opposite or you can't rationalize doing it um, because you're just so down. So basically what's going on is that the human mind is functioning properly and a, a person is able to reason properly without hindrances other than bias. So we all have biases or biases and they kind of help shape our how we act and how we interact with other people. We can't get around that. Everybody has bias. But in order for something, in this case a mind or soul, to function properly, it needs to possess or possess some sort of purpose uh, of some sort. So like purpose, if we are going to think about it in proper functionality, it's implied. So if it is going to have a function, if I looking at looking at the glass that I have here that is holding my Oktoberfest, it is functioning properly. Because it is holding a beer. This glass is specifically made to hold beer. It could hold other liquids. And technically it would be still functioning properly, but it is functioning most properly. This this vessel is functioning most properly when a brewed malt beverage of the colored sort is 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 in it and right now it's a very tasty one and i'm going to take a sip so what i wanted to do then is take proper functionality and apply that to man so what just asking asking myself what is the proper function of humanity or man, however you want to do it. I know using the term man now is super taboo. To be quite honest, I don't care. I'm going to keep using it and using it interchangeably with humanity. So man's proper function is something that we get to see in the first chapter of Genesis. After that, we have Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that everything is going great. There's there's nothing there's nothing wrong. But we see sin creep in. Now it was and re- remember, it wasn't the it wasn't just the mere thought of sin or the consideration of breaking God's law or his commands, but it was the actual breaking of the commands. So That's what I'm that's what I'm trying to wrestle with and I want to wrestle with my students about this. So for our minds though to be jumping back into the epistemology side of things. So if for our minds to be functioning properly, 
um, purpose needs to be present. And, but the thing is though, what, what kind of purpose of the mind are we talking about? Is it just moving from point A to point B and, and having the, just the chemical processes work correctly? Because the naturalistic way is that the mind and the brain are equal. But in the, from the Christian worldview, that just isn't the case. So there's, there's that, like the, the main purpose of the mind is truth. That, that is the hypothesis that, that I'm, that I want to explore. And I could be wrong about that, that the, the purpose of the, of the, the mind is truth. That is our mind must be aimed at truth in order for it to function properly. So I could be making a, a categorical error or something like that, but at the same time, it still kind of fits a little bit that our minds must be truth aimed to be properly functioning. This then extends into our beliefs for the mind to function properly. So we need to believe true propositions in order to function properly as humans. So if I believe that gravity isn't a thing, because I just was reading about uh, Isaac Newton, for instance, if if I'm not able to function properly and, and believe gravity, then I'm not going to be believing something that's true. And therefore, the way that I act and the way that I conduct my life is going to reflect not believing in gravity. So this also then extends into the capacities that we have. For example, the capacity to come and hold true beliefs by coming to them via properly functioning mental or epistemic ways. Now, this ext- this is a super high and lofty, and to be quite honest, that's just a baby thought for me right now. But in terms of like religious experience, um, coming to know and hold true beliefs could be something as simple as experiencing the divine. We have just all these testimonies of religious experience that we don't know what to do with other than this is the divine. So that that would be something that is or could be considered properly basic where it just is that way and you can't you can't reduce it down to something else. To kind of borrow from Michael Behe, you properly basic beliefs are irreducibly complex sometimes. So then with that, so we kind of just tackled a little bit of proper functionality and where I'm trying to go with it with my students. And I want to do that with you as well. So please like buckle in, like it's going to be a wild ride and we might have to pull over and fix a few things or maybe even take a few steps back because we missed an exit that we needed to take. So also, if you know something, like please feel free to comment on this or send me an email to help correct me or even give me an idea of where to, to, where to go next or a resource that we could possibly explore together. So that'd be, that'd be great. So the next part in this is if we're going to be a properly function, functioning human, or a properly functioning humanity as a, as a whole, because even though America has this idea of being an 
like this just this individual side of america um individuality is a a thing to be held on to super super tight but christianity is a little bit of both like there is this individual aspect but once you take a hold of that individual aspect it is then applied to the community in that you are like the, the like the body of christ is is an amazing example and Paul is a genius. So if you're looking at a body, like you can be an individual blood cell, but you are a part of the entirety of red blood cells. Just as if you are a finger within the body of Christ. You are a part of the hand and you can't be anything else without that. So it's just kind of a strange paradigm and paradox. That's what's going on there. It's really cool to sit down and think about how the individual applies to the community, but yet how it's a distinct person, an individual. So, humanity. The question that I want to explore then, too, is what is humanity? If we're going to be properly functioning humans, then we need to understand what it means to be human. So, humanity, this is my own definition here, just after thinking about it all summer and reading, um, humanity is something that is all human. 100% DNA structure is human, or homo sapien. But it's a combination of a philosophical humanness and a biological humanness. So, it's not just a, a biological DNA thing that's going on. There is some sort of philosophical thing that we need to reconcile here. So philosophically, human, humanity is a universal that applies to those that carry the sub-properties of humanness, like a mind and DNA. So this is where, like J.P. Moreland says, that the mind or the, the body and the soul are kind of like, they're not interchangeable, but they work together in tandem and that there's no difference, really. That it's like I am, it's like as I sit here in a physical body, I can say with confidence that I am a soul. And that soul is animating my body, giving me the ability to do things. Um, and it goes right in line with the stuff that we just talked about with the resurrection. So, like, if the soul was to be resurrected, then we could have whatever body that we have or that we have in the afterlife and have no real memories of what what's going on beforehand but what we see in first corinthians 15 is that that's just not the case we are resurrected with the bodies that we already have so the soul or so the resurrection isn't just the resurrection of the soul but it's the resurrection of the embodied soul so there's something there that has this humanness thing so defining factor in the philosophical humanness is that there's a rational capacity there. So I'm not wanting to say that there's not any other soulless, or that there's any any other souled animals out there. What I'm saying is that humanness is very distinct in this in this case. So philosophical humanness is we we have this rational capacity for things, and. The mind of, of humans really is unlike any other animal out there. So we have the ability to do 
other than what is instinctively true. So, for instance, the the ability to when I was getting my tattoo, the the natural instinct for anybody really as you're getting tattooed and I mean it's quite literally just needles inject injecting and embedding ink into your skin like and it hurts so instinctively you want to pull away like I I actually did that a few times because it it stung and it hurt so bad um so sitting there and thinking I need to keep and consciously thinking I need to keep my hand here and I need to keep my hand still if I don't want to be hurt even more and I want the tattoo to come out looking good. So, looks amazing, by the way. Um, I'll post a picture of it with this on the Instagram. But, so we ha- we have that, and it goes against natural instinct to just sit there and let somebody basically hurt you. And some people might call that masochism, <laughs> but I don't see tattoos as being masochistic. Um, cause I honestly, I don't enjoy the feeling of being hurt. I just enjoy the end product after the tattoo is all healed and everything. Cause right now it's kind of sore. So the, uh, the same thing applies for like sex drive and desires. And we're going to ho- hopefully get into that as well with some of the sexual ethics of things and the sexual ethics of being a properly functioning human. So let's just look at that real quick. Like, Sex drive and desires, like when a man, such as myself, like feels a strong sexual desire, which quite honestly naturally occurs, it's an instinct to have a sexual desire. Now, man has the unique ability to resist that desire for reasons other than self-preservation. So we could choose to not engage or not pursue a sexual partner or a a female sexual partner in my case I could choose not to because of having to go to work or having to do anything else other than just saving my own skin Um, it could be for something like religious reasons that you don't engage in sexual activity because it is not beneficial for your soul and your spirit to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. And it also just helps keep a little bit of some integrity and some some innocence there. Um, But there's something other than self-preservation and and self-keeping there going on. So if if, but if man, if I were to be instinctual about it, there would be, and with having no rational capacities, then that strong sexual desire would drive me so hard to do something or to have a sexual partner that would hopefully be my wife. But if I'm not married, it could be anybody, really. So that that drive would be so strong that that's the only thing that would hold my mind focused. So I would 
not be able to leave focus until that sexual desire is fulfilled. So there would be no internal dialogue going on as to whether this is the correct time or not, whether that's a correct person or not, whether I should even be doing it or not because of a moral obligation and a moral promise that I made to somebody, like my wife. So that internal dialogue is another unique feature of humanity. We don't see, we don't really see like a dog, because dogs are a little bit more animated in their, their motions, that we don't see them going along and saying like, ah, hey, should I bite the mailman or not? We don't see them sit back and weigh all the options. They just kind of go for it. So there's no internal dialogue going on there with, with anybody or with anything other than humans. So this is, this is where humans have this ability to have thoughts about our thoughts. As far as we can tell, humans are the only ones that are able to do that. So that also goes against our instinctual stuff, our instinctual desires. And all we need and all we can do is study the manifested behavior and not probe and not probe the mind of the animal in that position. So like what I'm what I'm saying there is that all in terms of other other animals, all we can do is study the manifested behavior. We can't actually talk with that person about whether or that talk with that animal about whether or not they made a deliberate choice after weighing all these other options. So that's where the rational capacities and things come into it. So that's one of the things that makes humanity unique is this ability to rationalize things and to do other than what is instinctual. And it, that's just right there. That is a, a beautiful sign of the free will that we have. That is, is, is a common grace that, that, that is instilled in us as humans. Now, another factor of being human is personhood. Now, personhood has multiple facets and that make up personhood, but no other animal has this distinct factors of personhood like humans do. And what I mean by that is that we need to be clear about what personhood and personality are if we're going to say that humans have personhood. So dogs can have personality. They all have this thing that makes them unique. Like, I've never met two golden retrievers that act the exact same way. Just because they're golden retrievers doesn't mean that they're not two different dogs. So. Same thing with the Norwegian elk hound that I had with my ex-wife. We we had Odin, and he was he, he's an amazing dog. And when I was a kid, we also had a Norwegian elk hound that was also a purebred. They were purebred Norwegian elk hounds, but they were two different dogs, so you would expect them to act the same, correct, if they don't have personality, but they did. Dusty, when when I was a kid, didn't matter if you were 
somebody he knew or not. If you walked through the door without one of us going and greeting you, he would pin you to the ground until you, until one of us came to basically set him loose and set him free. Odin, on the other hand, just loved everybody. He just wanted to lick you and be your friend, but at the same time, he did have this desire to protect us. And it was really cool to see that every once in a while. Um, so you, we can tell that he knew that we loved him and that he had some sort of love, if you can even consider it love, towards us. But humanity and personality with and personhood in humans is a little bit different because we do have that rational capability. So this extends into things like abortion. Do we do we really believe that the the developing human in our in 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 the mother's womb is not a person? So we need to we need to start thinking about what's going on within the womb so that there's a way to accurately and adequately make the right decision. So other than that, we can't really blame or say that a person is wrong for taking and aborting that human. Because with without having a proper understanding of what makes a person a person and a human a human, then what's the point of the the abortion debate? So if a if just for an example, if that if if that unborn child, that unborn human is not a is not a person and it really just is a clump of cells that puts that takes murder and it throws it out the window. Because quite honestly, the only thing that's different between the unborn child and a one second old out of the womb baby is location. Location and a little cord that ejects from the belly button and what becomes the belly button. There's no literal difference in the DNA and in the personhood and the capacities and the the capabilities of that human. So I just want to leave that there. As we go, and that's... With actually one more thought. So, just here's here's quickly my stance on that whole thing. So... If we are going to talk about abortion, then we need to talk about murder. And we will talk about murder later um, because there is a difference between killing and murder. So if we already have a law about murder, then the abortion debate gets a lot simpler. If it's a very, very important if. That is, it becomes a lot simpler if we understand and come to an agreement on what personhood is.
So we kind of talked a little bit about a lot of the things that we're going to explore in the in the future. Uh, so a lot of these are just ethical things. So things like killing and killing versus murder and how it relates to abortion and sexual ethics. We, we kind of talked on that a little bit. Um, and we're going to dive into a little bit of evolution and how where, where the where the science and the materialistic science is is or what it's showing and what it's trying to purport but also what happens whenever we adopt something like evolutionary psychology those are two two very important issues to consider whenever we talk about the image of god so that's what i want to leave you with i hope you join me for the next next couple in the series it's going to be a, hopefully about a semester long and i just hope that you enjoyed this and i will see you all next time It's been a pleasure to to read and research this topic so that we can talk about this and, and just grow together. So remember, as we go from here, to stay thirsty for God's word and to be responsible in its use and in practice in our lives so that we can be better disciples and more effective in sharing our faith with the world around us.